Please be seated. <clears throat> Good morning again. I'm Brandon Barrett. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're glad that you're here with us. Thanks for coming to join us on a Sunday morning. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Philippians. So if you'd like to turn there, and if you have one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 981. We'll be in Philippians chapter 2 this morning. So we continue our series talking about growing up and growing close as we uh, listen to the book of Philippians, God speaking to them and God speaking to us, talking about growing up in vibrant faith, in relationship with Christ, and doing that together as we grow up together as a community of God's people. We're going to be reading this morning, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read. Let's pray. Father, we come to you right now and to your word, and we pray that you would speak to us. Whether we know it or not, we are people always in need of hearing the life-giving words that come from you, our creator, sustainer, and our savior. So we pray that you would bring that to us now by the power of your spirit. Speak to us. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians 2, verses 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I uh, should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. And it's given for our good and for his glory. Now, if you've uh, been here for the series on Philippians or familiar with the book, you could even glance back and glance forward. You know, this this passage just feels really different than the other things we've been talking about. I mean, you know, Paul has been, he's just come through a passage talking about the unbelievable humility of Christ taking on flesh, the incarnation to come and dwell among us, to die and to rise again. And he talked in the passage we looked at last week about... um, living out these beautiful and radiant lives as we shine as lights in the world as we follow Christ. And then in chapter 3, which we're going to get to next week, he's going to talk about the absolute foundation of our salvation in Christ being only in what Christ has done for us, not at all in our own effort. So all these glorious truths and, and amazing teaching. And then in the middle of this, he's like, Oh, yeah, let me tell you some of my travel plans, right? Uh, you know, people are coming and going. He's sending Epaphroditus and Timothy, and it's just sort of strange. And honestly, I read this this week, and I thought, maybe we just ought to move on to chapter 3, you know? It's just, uh, it, it just didn't seem like much. But I came to see, of course, that it, it, there, there was stuff for us here. I thought about skipping it, but we're not going to because there is something for us. I think what we get here is it gives us a glimpse of life behind the scenes of ministry. 
Okay, uh, in some ways, behind the scenes of the very mundane aspects of what really goes into our own lives and our service of Christ, that most of it happens in the normal day in and day out. And that's what Paul's alluding to here. So here's what we're going to see from this passage about behind the scenes of ministry. We're going to get a glimpse into the mundane context of ministry. And we're going to see an example of faithful endurance in ministry. And we're going to see the centrality of a compassionate heart for ministry. Okay, so first, the mundane context of ministry. Again, we get, we get Paul's travel plans here. You want to know what this passage is about? Here it is. He says to the Philippians, I'm going to be sending Timothy to you so that he can come and care for you and come back and tell me how you're doing so I'll be cheered up to hear that things are going well. By the way, I'm hoping to get out of prison soon and come to you myself. In the meantime, I'm going to send Epaphroditus, the guy that, brought, that came to me from you with gifts. I'm going to send him back with this letter. See you all soon. Right? That's, that's what this passage is about. He's talking about all the, the comings and goings behind the scenes of ministry. And it's, in this way, it's similar to other passages of, of uh, Paul's letters when we're reminded that these are, in fact, letters to specific people about specific issues. Um, here's one passage from 1 Timothy where he speaks of the Timothy we meet in our passage. And here's what he says in the midst of this kind of elevated discourse of 1 Timothy 5. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. So here's Paul speaking to Timothy, exhorting him, and he turns into, you know, pharmacist on the side. By the way, Timothy, we all know you're a little sickly. Take care of yourself, will you? Talking to Timothy. We see it again in 2 Timothy chapter 4. Again, speaking to Timothy, he says, Do your best to come to me soon, and when you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas in the books and above all the parchments. Timothy, I left some stuff at the house. Would you bring it with me when you come? And, you know, we see glimpses of this here because these were real people. These were real people, and they're living out lives of real ministry in real connection with one another in mundane stuff. And the truth is, our own conversations go this way often as well, don't they? I mean, think about your own communications with others. I was thinking about uh, when Elizabeth, my wife, and I were dating in college, there'd be times where we'd be apart and we'd send these letters and cards to each other, you know, deep and romantic and caring. Well, we, we still, we do, we still communicate that way. Uh, and and, our, and our, our love for each other has grown over the years, but here's what we found. Now our conversation in general flows out of our love for each other, but most of it isn't about our love for each other. Does that make sense? I mean, we, we love, we've built a life together, but most of our communication is, is not, not that. It's, it's about the daily, very mundane, but important details of life. Who's picking up our daughter from school today? Uh, you know, what do I need to stop by and get at the grocery? How are the kids doing? What does our schedule look like for this month? Uh, how's our budget doing right now? Are we st- Those are our conversations, and they're your conversations, too, because for all of us, most of our li- life is lived in very mundane things. Uh, Paul Tripp, a counselor and pastor, uh, said in a, in a marriage class that many of us took this summer, he said, you know, there, for most of us, really, honestly, there are only four or five big moments in your entire life, Right? If you get married, that's, that's, one, that's a big moment, birth of a child, uh, maybe graduation for you, uh, but maybe a, a moment of, and, and a period of a really significant illness. But, but there aren't many of those in life. 
life is made up of the 10,000 little moments. Just the really mundane stuff. And the truth is, if God doesn't care intimately about those moments, then he doesn't care about most of our life. Because that's where we live, right? But he does. He cares about all those little moments. That is where we live our life. And it also means, if that's where we live our lives, then that's where most of the ministry of our lives takes place as well. In the very ordinary things. The majority of our lives, loving others, serving others, bringing the hope of Christ to others, happens in those little moments. And often when we don't expect it. And that means that much of living a life of faithful service to Christ happens in the ordinary stuff because spiritual life is lived on the ground and not on the mountaintop most of the time. That's where we are. M- many of us in the church are reading a book on prayer right now by Paul Miller. It's called A Praying Life. And in that book, he tells a story uh, about a time when their family car died. And so they had to replace it. And so he and his wife, they're talking in family, they're talking about what, what, what they should replace it with. One car or another, do we get a new car, do we get a used car? <clears throat> and their daughter, Katie, was in high school at the time. And they came to realize as they were having this conversation, their daughter was inordinately excited about getting a new car. You know, she was envisioning, you know, driving up to the school in their new car and how everybody was going to be in awe and how it was going to help her social standing. And as uh, she talked to her parents about this, they realized in one of those very ordinary moments of life, one of the most ordinary decisions, how are we going to replace our car? Her parents realized, we have got to get an old car. we got to get an old car. Because it is dangerous to our daughter's spiritual health if we were to drive up in a new car because she loves it too much. So they bought an old clunker. It happens in the midst of the ordinary Let me give you an example from Scripture that's often treated differently than this. In the book of Ephesians in chapter 5, Paul talks about the relationship of husbands and wives. Very famous portion of Scripture. Let, Let me read you just a few verses of that when he talks about husbands loving their wives. Here's what he says. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. That she might be holy and without blemish. This incredibly high picture of what marriage pictures. Christ's sacrifice for the church. He says, husbands, you're to live this kind of life for your wives. You're to lay your life down for them. Now it's very easy as a husband to read this and think, you know, when that situation comes along, I'm going to do it. When I need to lay down my life for my wife, you never know when you might be in a crowd of people, somebody might pull out a gun and start shooting, I am going to take the bullet for my wife. Or even better, I'm going to overcome the assailant and end up on the front page of the paper too. I am willing to lay down my life for my wife. Now, my wife and other wives in this room might be comforted somewhat to know that's what's going to happen when somebody pulls out a gun in a crowd of people, it could happen. But the more significant question is for us as husbands, for example, what's it going to be like to lay down your life in all the real moments of your life? All the really mundane things, all the ways in which your spouse needs to be cared for and helped, the way there needs to be compassion and thoughtfulness. Are you going to lay your life down in that way? And that's what Paul is getting at. That our life is lived in the ordinary, and that's where real ministry most often happens. Uh, Our kids, we've got a big old old footlocker full of uh, dress-up clothes. And so I, we got kids dressing up as superheroes, princesses, cowboys, ballerinas. Uh, my, my own favorite as a child was Superman. And, true confessions, I, I had Superman underwear. 
So wherever you went, though the world didn't know, you could actually be uh, Superman, right? Just in disguise. And, and maybe some of you think of yourself that way too. But the truth is, again, for all of us, we, we live Clark Kent lives most of the time, don't we? It's the normal stuff. I've been using the word mundane that we tend to treat as a bad word. It's a good, it's a good word. It comes from uh, the Latin and the, the um, etymology of it. It points to things that are of the earth, of the world. That's what mundane means. And God loves the world. And he loves the uh, very simple and ordinary moments of our life. Our lives before Christ are lived here knee-deep in schoolwork and research and office politics and conflict and diapers and discipline and aching bones and aching hearts, church budgets and administration. This is where it happens. See, our life begins here literally on the ground in this world. But ultimately our life ends here as well, um, really ends here. If you were to go and read uh, at the end of the Bible, the way this story ends, it is not with us being taken up in a cloud and disappearing into an ethereal heaven forever. Instead, the Bible ends with heaven coming to earth, with God coming here to dwell with us, both feet on the ground, here, this mundane world. God loves it. And that's where we live our lives of faithfulness to him. So we see the, kind of the mundane aspects or context of ministry here. Second thing we see is we see an, uh, an example here of faithful endurance in ministry. Okay, this, this mundane context, we see a picture of what it means to faithfully endure in just that kind of life. And we see that in the character of Epaphroditus. Uh, you see we pick up with him in verse 25. Now, Epaphroditus is only mentioned in all the Bible in Philippians. We see him here, and he gets referred to again in chapter 4. And Epaphroditus seems to be the guy who, is, who has come to Paul. And if you'll remember, Paul is in prison, likely in Rome. And when you were in prison in the Roman Empire, they didn't feed you three square meals every day. All your physical needs had to be met by family and friends who would bring food to you, who would bring the things that you need. Paul desperately needed very practical service and aid. And the Philippians was, Philippi was a church that he was intimately connected with, had a very strong relationship with, a church he had planted himself. And they sent to Paul, this guy Epaphroditus, with gifts to care for him and take care of him in prison. Not very glamorous, but incredibly needed and incredibly appreciated by, by Paul. And you'll see in here that Epaphroditus was sick, and Paul refers to the fact that the, the Philippians knew that he was sick. We don't quite know the order of um, events. One commentator suggests maybe the scenario went like this. Epaphroditus comes from Philippi to Rome with a couple other folks from the church to bring these gifts to Paul. And maybe it was on the road to Rome that he first took ill. And instead of turning around and coming home, he keeps on going. And he sends one of the guys back to tell the church so they can be praying. Epaphroditus is really sick. Paul says, you knew that he was sick. And he goes on and says, he was really sick. In fact, he almost died. He risked his life and almost lost it for the sake of the gospel. The gospel defined how? Well, here, very simple service to Paul, yet so very necessary for him. Paul held him in high regard. Here's how he describes him in verse 25. He calls Epaphroditus, my brother my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. Epaphrodite is not the rock star, not the one-man show, 
but a fellow soldier, a fellow worker, his brother, uh, one who was faithful in ministry, who endured even when it cost him greatly. And then you get down to verse 29, and Paul says we are to honor men like this, women like this, people who serve in this way, because he knows that this kind of service is not necessarily what's honored in our world, and it wasn't what was honored in the Roman world. Epaphroditus, as far as we know, wasn't rich and influential. He didn't gain status in his society the way people generally gained honor in the Roman Empire. Uh, He didn't win esteem through civic patronage, through military conquest, through being born into the right family. So Paul says you are to honor him because he is showing the fruit of faithful, enduring ministry in the very practical way of extending care to Paul. I was reminded this week of a, a World War I story. I mean, when you think of World War I, um, maybe some names come to mind. Archbishop Ferdinand, or Archduke Ferdinand of Austria, Woodrow Wilson, the League of Nations. Uh, you might not think of uh, Harry Patch. Although some of you might know this story. Uh, this, this past summer, in, in July, Harry Patch died. Harry Patch was a British soldier who had served in uh, World War I. He was one of the last remaining veterans of World War I. He died at the age of 111. And he was an, an ordinary guy. When he was 15, he dropped out of school to go to trade school to become a plumber. And at 18, he was... Uh, He was drafted into the army. He went and served with distinction in Belgium until he was finally injured and had to be uh, taken home to recover. And then after the war, he took up his trade and he was a plumber and he got married and he had kids and he outlived two sons and three wives. And by the end of his life was incredibly respected, incredibly honored, was given, uh, w- was given incredible honors by other countries for his service in the war. And when he died, he could have had and was offered a state funeral in all its glory, but he didn't want it. He lived a simple life and wanted to be buried in a simple way. And here was somebody ordinary, faithful in the call of duty. That's what Paul's getting at. Now, back to Superman. Remember what Clark Kent would do when somebody was in trouble, when somebody was in need? He'd, he'd run to the telephone booth, and he'd, he'd rip open his shirt, and, and what would you see there? The big capital S for Superman. Well, underneath Epaphroditus' shirt, not this S for Superman, but instead we see a picture of his faithful endurance. Not a Superman, but one simply stepping into what God puts before him and sticking to it. A willingness to remain faithful even in difficulty. And I think, frankly, this ought to be an encouragement for us. See, God used not only Paul, who is uh, incredibly one of the most famous people to ever live in the history of the world. Think about it for a second. Like him, hate him, whatever. Unbelievable. But then you've got Epaphroditus, too. God working not only in Paul, but also in Epaphroditus. Not only in this amazing ministry of planting churches and writing scripture, but in faithful service of bringing needed help to Paul at just the right moment. God is at work in the very ordinary things. And the good news for us is that God is at work in our very ordinary lives too. In our very ordinary ministry as well. Would that he would make us people like this who are also faithful and enduring in the task that God sets before us. Okay, so we see that endurance and that faithful endurance of, of Epaphroditus. The second thing we see here lived out though is a compassionate heart for ministry. And we see that in both Timothy and in Paul. We, we hear about Timothy in verses 19 through 23. Look at some of the things that Paul says about him. He says, I have nobody like him. 
If you remember, Paul's talked about he's being in, in prison, likely in Rome, and he looks around and he says, everybody else around me, they're preaching the gospel out of a sense of rivalry, that they'd somehow make me feel worse now that I'm in prison. They can one-up me, he says. And now he says, look, there's nobody around that I have that I can send except Timothy. I have nobody like him. He says, he will be faithfully concerned for you. Verse 20, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. When it comes time to send someone to care for the Philippians, that is who Timothy, or excuse me, who Paul picks. You want somebody who's going to care for him. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, says this. Isn't it interesting that he doesn't say Timothy is a wonderful teacher? Or even Timothy is a very devout and holy man, but Timothy will genuinely care about you. This is the definition Paul seems to be adopting for a good pastor. Someone who is going to care for the people. Now, we know from, if you were to read First and Second Timothy, again, letters addressed to Timothy, we know that he, he was sound in his doctrinal knowledge. We know that he was trusted in ministry. But the thing that Paul puts his point on for the Philippians is that he will care for you. He will come and love you well. He says that's what you need. Someone who serves with this kind of heart. And Paul refers to him, he says, He served with, him, with me at my side like a son serving with his father. Paul is sending him one he knows that will care for him. And that heart that Timothy has is a reflection of Paul's own compassionate heart in ministry as well. He loves the Philippians. He's sending them the very best that he has in Timothy. He's asked, he said, I'm, I'm sending Timothy so I'll get news for you. I want to be cheered as I hear the good things that God is doing among you. And as he thinks about the pain the Philippians are feeling because they're, they're, uh, they're in the absence of Epaphroditus, whom they're worried about, he says, this pains me as well. It makes me anxious to know that you are, that you are upset about this, so I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you, who would go and deliver this letter as well. Uh, he says when Epaphroditus gets sick, we see, we see Paul's care even for his fellow ministers. He says, God, you know, God spared Epaphroditus, but he, scared, but he spared me as well, sorrow upon sorrow. You know, what's he saying? Here he is in prison suffering, sorrow, and God spared him a sorrow on top of that, the loss of a trusted friend and fellow minister. You know, this is the same Paul who also says in chapter 4 of Philippians, rejoice in the Lord again, and again I say rejoice. Paul can both say rejoice in the Lord and as followers of Jesus doing ministry in this world, we know deep sorrow as well. But we have a... We have a, we have a hope and a joy that transcends that, but it doesn't negate it. It doesn't pretend that the sorrow is not there. And you got Paul later in Philippians saying, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything with prayer and supplication, present your request to God. But here in our passage, he's just said, I'm sending Epaphroditus back to you because I'm anxious for you because I know that you long for him to be there. You see, he is a real person wrestling in the real life of ministry. He wasn't stoic. He wasn't superhuman. He had a deep love for the people to whom he ministers. And he says, this is what we are called to as well, that we would be people of not only steadfast and faithful endurance, but compassionate hearts that would care for those that God calls us to in ministry. Our ministry to each other and to the world must be marked by this same kind of compassionate love. But the truth is we can only give to others what we have received and what we have received ourselves. It's what Paul and Epaphroditus and Timothy knew and what we must know as well. The love of Jesus for us. That we might share that love with others. And, and think about what 
what we've just gone through here, we talk about this very mundane context of ministry. Well, Paul in chapter 2 of Philippians has pointed us to Jesus and he says, let me tell you about the mundane of ministry. Let me tell you about Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father who stepped down out of heaven onto earth in flesh that he might suffer and die for us. It doesn't become more mundane than that. Entering into the real life, the real ordinary situations of our world and our lives that he might come and save us. We talked about Epaphroditus in a faithful endurance in ministry. Epaphroditus who kept on serving and was faithful in spite of serious illness. And yet we see the picture of the one Epaphroditus followed of Jesus. Who didn't simply come at the risk of illness and suffering. He came with the guarantee of it. Not with the danger of taking a disease on himself. But with the promise and the intended purpose to come and lay down his life for us. That's where Epaphroditus' faithful endurance comes from. And we see in Jesus his compassionate heart for ministry for us as well. The Bible says glorious things about God's love and self-sacrifice for us. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We get a picture of Jesus, John chapter 11, standing next to the tomb of Lazarus, his friend who has died weeping over the destruction of death in the very moment when he is then going to turn and call Lazarus out of the grave to life again. The same compassionate Jesus who in Matthew 11 says this to people like us, Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy And my burden is light. And Paul holds up for us Epaphroditus, Timothy, Paul himself as examples of these very things that Paul is exhorting in Philippians. That we would be people of humble service, faithful hearts, of compassionate hearts. Here's what he said to them in chapter 1 verse 27 to the people in Philippi. Only let your lives be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come or am absent... I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is the very thing we see lived out in the life of Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul, and the very real and mundane struggles of life, that he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Stand fast, endure, have hearts that are compassionate, like the heart of Jesus. And this is what we need in our mundane lives of ministry as well, to develop and cherish and honor determined, steadfast character and compassionate hearts. And it's this call of Paul to us that sends us back into the world, into our worlds, into our lives, and all the mundane details of our real lives with this kind of faithful endurance, this kind of compassionate heart. This is what your spouse needs from you. And this is what your children need from you. This is what your parents need from you. This is what your friends need from you. This is what your coworkers need from you. This is what your neighbors need from you. They need the ministry of Jesus brought to them by us, by you, with faithful endurance, with compassionate hearts, in all the very ordinary moments of life.
And so may God take our lives and fill them with the light of the gospel and pour them out into ministry and use them for the good of the world. May he do that in us. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and pray and and, and thank you for the very ordinary stuff of this passage because it speaks into the very ordinary stuff of our lives. This, the normalness of our life, the theater of your great work in us, often behind the scenes. In the small moments of life, you working out your salvation in our lives and bringing it to others. May we be a part of that. Would you give us eyes open in the midst of the mundane? Would you give us faithful endurance? And would you give us compassionate hearts? And would the world know you? And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.